1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Okay, well, I, I never set out to do workshops particularly. It wasn't on my bucket list, but I found that I had a knack for doing it. I became, I realized that I was good at teaching and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed looking at other people's processes, and it helped me to develop my own. So I I began working with the over-50s in Cardiff. They were long-term unemployed and were a very interesting group as well, people with a lot of life experience, but also who had been around a little bit, who I would say were slightly disillusioned. Some of them were down on their luck, and I just found it rewarding. We did a couple of days and then ended up doing a gig in a library, then progressed to teaching teenagers, which was as challenging as it sounds and uh, everything from a group of 10 to one guy who just said look my mum just doesn't like me very much <laughs> I don't even like comedy but it turns out that six years later um, Mogsy, as he's known is doing really well on the comedy circuit so I found the whole process rewarding really and then Alfie from We Are Funny Project said to me would you like to do a storytelling workshop and I thought well yes I would because storytelling or as I'm now beginning to call it interactive narrative That should be my trademark, uh, is what. I feel I do best and I thought well I've been around a little bit I've been around the block many times I've had quite a journey and I thought I would like to be able to share my knowledge really and present a workshop that would answer the questions that I wish someone had told me when I first started out.
2: Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast episode 57. For those of you new to the show this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up comedy radio tv and today storytelling. Matt Price is a comedian and a performer who's been on the circuit for years as a storyteller, or as he likes to put it, a postmodern interactive narrative storytelling comedian. We get into why he's chosen to give himself a pretentious title like that, the difference between a storyteller and a stand-up comedian, his relationship with the label of a storyteller, why so many comedians think being a storyteller is a label that you get when you're not being funny, and why clubs don't understand or book storytellers. Loads of information in this about how to tell stories and we actually did the podcast directly after being at his course for an afternoon where I learnt loads about how to deliver a story and how to tell a story on stage. So if you'd like more information on that, there'll be links in the show notes. I'm not going to say much more because I want to just get straight into it. So if you're enjoying this podcast, please do remember to subscribe and without any more delays, this is Matt Price.
0: So the difference between stand-up and storytelling for me is... An interesting question, obviously. I think that storytelling now is interesting. Most people will describe themselves, I say most people as a storyteller to one degree or another. You look at people look at comedy CV. the phrases that are used the most are the hardest working act in the UK, fastest rising star and storyteller. The difference for me is that a storyteller has a narrative in whatever form that that's it. I think that stand-up and storytelling, it's, it's more merged now than it's ever been. I find it quite interesting that in recent years at the Edinburgh Festival, storytelling has been a separate genre. It's been introduced to something. Now, you can actually describe your show as stand-up storytelling. So, in fact, the lines are becoming a lot more blurred. But if you're looking traditionally, I always think that storytelling actually looks and looked originally like an excuse for not having any jokes and for not being particularly funny. If you'd have said, I'm a storyteller, ten years ago, people would think, oh right, you've got a big beard and you're extremely earnest and you talk about in El- Elizabethan English and you're not funny. Now, of course, it's changed. The Edinburgh Festival features people who are doing hour-long storytelling shows. I didn't even realise that I was doing that. So my answer is actually, it's very blurred. Mm. It's extremely blurred. And the fact that stand-up storytelling exists is actually quite handy for me. I think, however, traditionally stand-up is probably, I hear people say it all the time, yeah, but I'm more like gag, 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 joke, 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 gag, 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 you know, bang, bang, bang. And it's fine. And I believe that. But I also say to them, yeah, well, good luck doing that for an hour. And the beauty of it is with storytelling, I think that once you know what it is and once an audience, particularly in Edinburgh, knows what it is, for me personally, it's more rewarding. Don't get me wrong, I'd love to be Bill Burr and be hilarious for an hour and go seamlessly from one topic to another. But that isn't what I do. I like to create a show where there is a narrative, where there's a point to it. More recently, I've started to offer opinions and I like the arc, I like the beginning, middle and end, I like what it's about, and then allowing the audience to discover along the journey what it's really about. So I wouldn't say that storytelling is more in-depth than stand-up, it's the little brother or sister, but now, increasingly, as it's evolving and more people are doing it, the the lines are becoming a lot blurrier.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we've just done your course, um, and I remember you bringing up, comedy cv in the course and i didn't want to dwell on it too much at the time but it's one of those things where uh, i think it was richard branson I, I read i think his autobiography and he said in it something like uh, an entrepreneur never calls themselves an entrepreneur other people describe them as that and that's why i kind of try and avoid things like fastest rising star you know hardest working whatever because i don't think i don't think jimmy Carr's ever described himself as the hardest working community but loads of people do yes. and it's one of those things where it sort of is, it not insulting, it's sort of just a bit weird that you would, it's like when a guy says, oh, I'm a really nice guy, you're like, you shouldn't have to say it, everyone should just be aware of it, you know? And is that why you don't now label yourself as a story, you call yourself an interactive story? An int- yeah, it, an inter- well,
0: it's, it's slightly tongue-in-cheek actually, I was in Australia at the start of the year with Gordon Southern, who I, you know, love as an act and as a bloke as well and his his show had a narrative. Mm. And the delightful thing about Gordon, he's a very funny man, but he's this cheeky, chappy guy. And the show, in many ways, was about his father's dementia. There's so much more to it than that. And, of course, he interacts with the audience as well. He's got a great way of interacting. It's a box of tricks, but it's it's very, very smart. And he uses an iPad, and he does bespoke raps for people, and he has various catchphrases that come out, and it could be making it i making it sound like he's a 1970s club entertainer. He's not. He's very much Gordon Southern. It's a great style. And, I, and he said to me about storytelling, when well, you're a good storyteller, and I said, yeah, having watched you, you do interactive narrative. And I thought, oh, is and he said, oh, I really like that. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of the phrase that I've just coined now. So I'm being mm. slightly cheeky when I say, oh, well, I do interactive narrative. To be honest with you, I entertain the audience in front of me. It's as simple as that. You know, One of the things that I said in the workshop today was about, well, knowing what your range is, knowing what your persona is, knowing what it is you're trying to tell the audience. Not necessarily second guessing them, but being very much in the room. So to just say, oh, yeah, I tell stories, I think is oversimplifying it okay because there are connotations to that because a lot of people say yeah well it's not really joke 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 it depends on the story it depends on the context sometimes a story will get broken up well, because i've been around the club circuit for so many years i'm able to think okay someone's heckled with that oh well i can do a b or c i know i'll give them c i'll get a laugh and then i'll say anyway back to the story Or I might go off on a little tangent. So it's not just as simple as, oh, yes, I tell stories. I interact. I play the room. I'll tell a yarn. I'll deal with anything that's going on. My duty as a comedian, especially on the club circuit, is to entertain and most of all make the audience laugh. I'll do anything but singing or nudity.
2: Okay. That sounds like your comedy CV there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I, I totally get that, and and I totally understand, because uh, there are some clubs that are pure stand-up, and, yeah. and they don't have variety, there are some variety nights on the circuit now that, you know, have they'll have storytelling, they'll have, uh, although I'm sure, you, I, I, I don't know if you'd want to say any more on this, but I'm sure you probably don't necessarily, because I think even you said something in the course about uh, Don Ward saying that his club's a comedy club, not a storytelling night. Absolutely. And so do you lose out on spots because of the perception of storytelling in some clubs
0: well no because I started to describe myself as a guy who does interactive joke based narrative okay and that's slightly different you have to think more about that you know than than just describing yourself as a storyteller I mean I'm a comedian but my particular thing is I like to tell a good yarn right you know that that that's pretty much it but I am C, you know for so I know the mechanics of a crowd and how it works and within a story I'll try and be as funny as possible you know, there's no point, if you're at a comedy club, there's no point in doing anything that isn't comedic. Mm. You know, I'm not there to change people's lives. I know it might sound like it, although my thing, when I'm doing an hour show, that's a different beast altogether. But as a working comic, I think you need to be able to go anywhere in the world, I and mean, I've performed in 30 countries, you know, to be able to turn up anywhere in the world, ideally, and entertain the people in front of you. So a story can be anything as well, from a minute and a half long to 10 minutes, you know, I've got couple of stories that i can do in two minutes which makes you think well hang on how come you make them last 20 well because there's always bits there's always tangents that you can go off on and the fact that i've been on the club circuit for so long as well that might be that you set up another narrative within the room as well you can get two stories going you can abandon a story the other night i was in the west country at a golf club and one of the acts said to me He said, that story seemed to last about 35 minutes. He said, I don't know how you managed to get them back in. They knew exactly where where you were. Well, that's because of the experience and understanding the mechanics of how live comedy works. So it is an oversimplification to say, oh, yeah, I'm a storyteller. And I think that for me personally, my evolution, this is what I'm trying to share with people on the workshops as well, my evolution has been, well, I've learned from every gig over the last decade, and now I'm starting to reap the rewards. For me, I think it's an ideal opportunity to... to you, you can evolve at every gig. You can learn a tremendous amount from every gig. And for me, as a working professional comedian, it's ideal to be able to turn up and to be able to... If necessary, grind out a win. That sounds like such a cynical way to talk about comedy. But if you turn up and the 60 people at the British Dental Society, and it's bright lighting, and they don't really care about who you are, and you get an introduction, which happened to me, oh, have you all heard of Live at the Apollo? Well, so has this guy. He's never been on it, Matt Price. It doesn't matter what you define yourself as. You've got to just come out and be funny.
2: And so you've you've coined this new term, and and that's kind of given you this edge by the sounds of it like th- that it stopped the stigma that maybe you had when you were a, st- were a storyteller because because we've spoken off pod a little bit uh sort of it was the Murph christmas party where you were mentioning that storytelling doesn't necessarily get as much uh, was it re- re- did you describe it as respect or or, or credibility
0: not, you know it's not even respect or credibility i think honestly in terms of storytelling and what a storytelling night is mm-hmm. i don't think storytelling has actually really started in the uk yet in america they do it brilliantly they have the moth which is people telling true stories without notes live on stage that's pretty much how they introduce it there is risk as well which is kept with The podcast by Kevin Allison, which is risky stories. People tell stories that they wouldn't usually share. Very compelling to watch. It's difficult to get that in the UK. We're a little bit behind the Americans. I mean, we were warned 10 years ago there was going to be a collapse in the UK, and guess what? It's happened. You know, we didn't listen. But it's made people more inventive, so there is a positive side to that storytelling hasn't really been done properly over here not yet when i used to run a store co-run a storytelling like natural born storytellers which is my trademark i'm the name that i came up with and used long before i did it in camden we we weren't quite sure what the response would be and i would invite comedians along and they would say well i don't really know what i'm meant to do you know and i'd say well you tell a story like you would to your mates you know beginning middle and end yeah but do i have to be funny and i go well no not really just tell a story yeah, but what do you mean by a story? And it would I'd be tearing my hair out. Well, why can't you understand what a story is? It doesn't make any sense to me. And it was quite frustrating. You get people come along understandably because they don't know what it is. So it hasn't there is there is a kind of a storytelling circuit, but it doesn't really exist. The best one is probably well, natural born storytellers still exists and it's going very well from what I understand. But the Spark, now that's been going for about ten years, and that's hosted by Martha, my partner, she, she we both love Charlie Harrison, who's the host. She's also a comedian. She runs the Brixton Room for Spark. And the idea is that someone tells a story on stage, and that sparks an idea in somebody else. It's very simple. And yet still, people don't understand what you mean by a storytelling night. Is it someone reading Little Red Riding Hood? And, and people will ask these questions. So it's not a question of... Um, Being inferior, or it's just that it hasn't been clearly defined as a genre. Somebody needs to take storytelling and sex it up a little bit, you know, because at the moment it's just, well, what is it? And comedians always used to say, you know, I. The lovely thing about it is, you know, there's no pressure to be funny, you know. And I go, yeah, but there's a pressure to tell a story. Well, what do you mean by a story? And I go, oh, I can't believe we're back to this again. So it just hasn't been clearly defined, which is a frustrating thing, but also quite exciting as well in terms of potentially being the person who brings storytelling and makes it huge in the UK. I'm hoping that's what could happen.
2: And, I mean, it sounds like if... It's going to sound really flippant, and just bear with me. No. Uh, well you haven't said it yet please um, be flippant I'm fine okay um, I spoke to Earl Oaken about a week ago okay he was originally <clears throat> originally in folk clubs yes and then that collapsed it went out of fashion sure and he had to go into comedy clubs yes and he still does folk clubs and jazz yeah. clubs and things That was great But yeah, oh he's amazing brilliant but he, uh, he obviously he's had to subsidise that with comedy gigs because yes. he writes some funny songs as well yeah do you think that just like we are, just not a nation that particularly enjoys storytelling in that capacity, and we are much preferring of straight stand up because it could be that culturally America just is you know it's better over there or because they like it over there, so they have more room to play with it and develop it. Or do you think it's just a case of? we are 10 years behind them and we might get there at some point?
0: I just think we're 10 years behind. I really do. I don't mean that in a bad way. You know, people evolve at different times and in different ways. I just think that nobody's really, really done it yet and marketed it in a way that will get repeat business. I went to watch The Moth, actually, at Union Chapel. And um, and it was extraordinary. It was amazing, and I just just the way it was done was so much better than anything I've ever seen. Just the diversity of the storytellers, the professionalism, the slickness, because they're already from a culture that's used to it. And I think that if it got some more exposure, I think storytelling's next. I've watched it slowly evolve over the last 10 years on the comedy circuit. There is definitely a distinct style. I was on with a couple of my good friends yesterday, um, and they were kind of telling yarns, very West Country-type yarns, very funny, joke-based, lots of laughs as well. I've got to add that. But it's just it's going to take time for it to really catch on and become a thing. And it's just simply that no one has done it yet. That, that's all it is. And yes, of course, the stand-up culture has been around since since the 80s, isn't it, really? Mm. And storytelling, I think, has been very popular. I'd like to know when The Moth started. I can't think when it was, but it must be 15 years, I would have thought. Maybe longer than that. I'd have to look that up. You'd think if I was that passionate about storytelling, I'd know what date it was. But it's still relatively new compared to stand-up over there. And it might take off over here.
2: Do you think then... So if if storytelling used to be perceived as this thing that you did when you weren't funny? Yes. I mean, do you think that's still a stigma attached to... Because if you're just starting out as a storyteller, statistically, like with being a comedian, you're not going to be that funny at it very early on. Yeah. So do you think it's a case of people go to an open mic night, see 12 comedians and one person doing storytelling that wasn't very funny, and they sort of pigeonhole it and go, well, they didn't even have a joke? Or... Do you, I mean how, do you think that perception is still there
0: absolutely yeah of, of course if people don't know what it is then and they and they can't understand it how can they want to see more of it or want to encourage it there's just I mean there's some truly horrific stand ups out there as well I don't say that with, to, with anybody in mind but I do see an awful lot of rambling people talk about joke 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 but I see comedians walk out I'm not criticising anybody but by the time you said oh hi how are you guys are you well give me a cheer on three if you're well give me a cheer three if you're not well one two three give me a cheer if you've got a dog that was maybe well at some point this can drag on and on and on so just because something is storytelling um, or something is stand-up it doesn't mean that one is any better than the other you know good stand-up is good stand-up good storytelling is good st- is good storytelling i think with the storytelling there is a license to not be funny. I think that the humour can actually emerge from the narrative. And I've actually seen people who've never been on stage before, because that was the idea of natural-born storytellers. Literally, the clues in the title, people who are naturally good at telling yarns. A great friend of mine told a story for about six minutes about how a time he, he was shaking like a leaf, about how him and his friend stole a car, sprayed it the same colour as a police car, and instead of police, wrote the word polite, On the side, and went around stopping motorists. And the audience were not only rapt, but killing themselves laughing. And he was this geezer, and he was saying, Well, you know, I mean, I'm nervous about public speaking. I don't know what to do, but I stole this car. And they were howling with laughter all the way through. There are no recognizable jokes, but the humor came out from the way that he delivered it, and I suppose from the believability of his character. And there was definitely, without him realizing it, he used a number of techniques that really made his story brilliant um equally there's people who've just gone up there and been thoroughly dull i think one of the reasons and i say this respectfully and charlie harrison from spark would say this as well storytelling is quite middle class and twee you know it 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 just is i mean i've heard lots of people say well when i did my gap year in peru and there's nothing wrong with that i'd love to go to peru you know but so it tends to be middle class and tweet and actually quite safe. And sometimes people, when you try to have an edgy night, that can go too much the other way as well. Because once again, people don't really know what it is. There were times that natural born storytellers have been amazing nights. But equally, there's been nights where it's just been like therapy for the audience and it's been too dark. You know, you've had themes, themes like because there's always a theme at storytelling night. So there's been themes like I've never told anyone this before, and so by the time you've got the third person who told you they've had a, the audience they've had a difficult childhood, you can just strap in for something of a snooze fest, which is not a phrase I ever thought I'd use. And I would tell you to edit that phrase out because I feel bad, but no, let's just keep it in anyway. Okay. Matt Price, unedited. Matt
2: Price, unedited. Snooze fest or yeah. storytelling nights that have a theme
0: <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> I, maybe i could do maybe i could have a storytelling festival and call it snooze fest <laughs> I could begin here
2: that that's <laughs> i was going to say that's basically perpetuating the stereotype you didn't want but that's fine that, that, I, that's I, f- I don't
0: think the level of irony will be there in no. time <laughs> absolutely <laughs>
2: i mean for me when, when you were talking i was thinking of um stand-up tragedy the night that oh, the runs yeah i love that night I mean, you can go, you can do stand-up, you can do a storytelling thing, you can do anything, as yes, long as the thing is tragic. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I really love doing that gig, I, I really enjoy it, it's really well run, and and the thing is, is that because it's such a variety night, you sort of go with everything, so you don't I, don't, I don't find myself watching someone tell a story going, where's the punchline? Yes. I find it more, oh good, there's something interesting going to be said here, yes. it might be funny, it doesn't matter if it's not, because I know it's going to be tragic either way, because yes. of the theme. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are nights like that, and I think... When there's a theme, it it sort of it sort of binds the stories into this into a bigger narrative. If absolutely,
0: you like. yes, yeah. of course. Yeah, you no, know, and, and I love that Yeah, the bigger narrative mm. of the night. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Mm. What I would say as well, it's something you don't
2: get in comedy nights. You, you know, everyone, someone can go up and do a set about science and then mass and then whatever, and you, it, it's all jokes, but it's not got that bindingness to
0: it. Yes, that that's true. Sometimes the 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 thing that binds them is you know. A, at certain nights where there's lots of acts on, especially new material nights where you, or new act nights, regrettably I understand why it has to be this way, you might get 16 people and by the time the ninth one has said how are you, you well, you know you, you do tend to want to gouge out your own eyes, it can't be helped and that's what binds the night. Mm-hmm. What I would say about storytelling is that whilst I, I don't like it when people say oh there's no pressure to be funny, I come back straight away with yeah but there's a pressure to tell a good story, that as a comic, when you sit down cuz you used to sit down at natural born storytellers when you sit down and you tell a yarn and we didn't use a microphone there's something very empowering about that it's great to really get I've never been afraid of silences couldn't care less but it's really good to be able to sort of sit there and share a silence with an audience obviously you can't do that in a stand up environment if you're too quiet for too long people will either start talking over the top of you or they'll heckle but in terms of of evolving as a comic, it's really good to actually go along and tell a story and not worry about being funny. You learn an awful lot about your own vulnerability, where your limits are, about your stagecraft, about how to connect with the crowd as well, because all that's really important. Because so often in stand-up, it's how many times have you heard, well, it's the way he or she tells it.
2: When you were starting out, how many pure storytelling nights were you able to get on to perfect? I mean, were, you, were first of all, were you always a storyteller or did you go through stand-up I've, and then got to storytelling? I've or?
0: experimented. I started in 2001. I dabbled for on and off. I did the Laughing Horse final in 2004. 2006 was when I decided I wanted to tell stories. I started, I've always done stand-up. I've always been able to. I wanted, because the people I really like in comedy are the people who can play any room or aspire to it. So the likes of, for example, Janie Godley, who I think is fantastic. She's the first person I saw in 2004, I think it was. I saw her two nights in a row. She did an hour-long show that was just amazing. It was funny, and when she wasn't being funny, she was being genuinely fascinating. The following night, she did a half-an-hour set, and it was a stand-up set. She interacted with the audience. I can remember somebody saying, shouting out, Glaswegian transvestite junkies. And I don't know how she did it, but she managed to make a routine about it with the guy on stage, and it was truly extraordinary. And I thought, yeah... I want to be able to do that. So all the people who I like are actually very versatile because the reality of live comedy is that you do have to be versatile because there's more to comedy than just comedy clubs. So you should be able to turn up anywhere and entertain people. And that was what I wanted to be able to do. My particular preference was telling stories just because it's a West Country thing. Some of the things that I've experienced, I mean, I, I wanted to be a professional boxing writer. That was my thing. So I wanted to be able to share their stories on stage. So I've experimented and made all the mistakes. When I initially started, I, I had a, essentially an afro, I would say, and a long trench coat, and I spoke about Japanese suicide. Because they say, talk about what you know. Well, I thought I'd make it easy for myself. Yes. And I've tried every style since. As I said, I don't view any, every gig I view as an opportunity. But I know myself so well now on stage, I feel that like I know how to pitch it. And as a, as a comic, I think that's what you should be able to do. So I'm a comic storyteller. Or I'm a comic, interactive, narrative storyteller. <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful, that one. <laughs> yeah. Yes, no, no, it yeah. certainly is. Mm. Yeah.
2: Okay, no, I was only asking because I, I was told, and I don't know if this is true, when you started, um, you were unemployed and you signed on to a scheme that was sort of to help you get into... Uh, a, 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 yeah, is that right? Do you
0: know what? I thought that was going to be a really good marketing device when I started, but actually, it's not that <laughs> big a deal because there's lots of tax credit comics out there. And yeah, I mean, I, I basically I, I went along to the job centre. I went, I was on the call centre circuit in Cardiff, and having dabbled in London for a bit, moved back to Wales, and by the call centre circuit, you you just work. Everywhere, I did British Gas, and then got fired from one one eight one one eight. And then went upstairs to IT and I couldn't do IT so I got fired from that Then I went to Western Power. So I did the whole circuit. I must have done it two or three times. I was on the dole for a while. Um, I had a philosophy degree and I remember turning up to the, to the, to the job centre and the guy saying, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a comedian and he sort of shook his head and i said oh yeah okay well good luck with that but he said well actually you can you can do this you can sign up for a new deal and you can be self employed and and i thought yeah all right i'll i'll try and do that and he said you might as well because this call center thing isn't working out for you <laughs> you know so and so i did and thankfully I, some years later i actually saw him at the glee club oh. i was on at the glee and And it was really great. And I said, I can't believe this. You know, you're my new deal advisor. How are you? He said, yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm on a first date. So please don't lay into me. And I didn't, but we had a little bit of fun. So actually, it was a reasonable way out. It's it's one of those things. This is a very hard game. As you know, make no mistake about it. You know there's no there's no blueprint for it. There's no set way to make it. There's some received wisdom. There's one or two people who can say, "Okay, I'll do a year on the open mic circuit. I'll develop my material. I'll get in with this person and this person. I'll go to Edinburgh do a three-hander. Following year, two-hander with someone who's not quite as good as me. So hopefully, I get a better review. I'll then get signed. Get an agent to get me on at the Pleasance. I'll do 7:30. I'll win the newcomer. Do two years of telly or maybe a year of telly tour. Then five years after that, I can retire. That is a that is one path, and only a very, very, very small percentage of people do that. And good luck to them, you know. But the rest of us, it's kind of scraping and living and fighting for it. Mm. That's what you have to do. Which is why I say it comes back to well, you know, the ability to be able to play any room, for me.
2: Makes you more commercially viable.
0: Absolutely, yeah, of course it does. Yeah, you, I want. I personally forget that I'm being slightly flippant when I talk about being an interactive postmodern storyteller. Listen, I want to be known. If I'm known as anything, I want to be known as a guy who can turn up and do a job really well, mm. consistently well.
2: Yeah, no, I'm I'm aboard with that. And and that's it. My my so my follow up question to yep. to the original point was. Um, because you've sort of mentioned that there aren't many storytelling nights, or there aren't much even of the circuit over here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wondered how you were able to go full-time from that. But it, it sounds like you were doing comedy clubs, but then I was thinking if you were doing comedy clubs and, and, it's not, and storytelling isn't established over here, I was wondering how you even got full-time. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. if, if promoters don't know what you're doing or they, or they don't uh, have as many sl- slots for that as they might do for just straight stand-ups. Oh, yeah. I, I, how did you even get from because if someone's listening to this and they want to be a storyteller how how did you even get to a stage where you got the trust of promoters to do either MC spots or club spots with a story rather than a uh, just a gag, gag, gag type thing which because
0: is... I was I was very thorough in learning my trade for one thing so I got to the point where I felt that I could be consistent re- reliable on stage plus there is something of uh, it's a misconception really that that it's not gag, gag, gag. Because actually, it is, it can be. It can be laugh, 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 certainly, depending on how you exploit the mechanics of being with an audience. You know, more, I, I know some, I deliberately contrive it sometimes so that someone's gonna hackle me. Because I know I've got a couple of comebacks. That'll, that'll get laughs. I also know if I do an act out, that'll get a few laughs as well. And I very much think about, right, well, what do I want this audience, how do I want the audience to react and when? I'll go for a minimum of three laughs a minute. Of course, I'll be a fool not to. In Edinburgh, that's a slightly different thing. You have a longer time. I like to have two dips over an hour. I think that's perfectly acceptable to do that. So actually, I started off just wanting to be as funny as possible. I then thought, well, I really want to learn how to tell very funny stories and if you look at the people who were the best at telling stories it is it may may not be gag 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 as such but it's laugh 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 listen to someone like you know he uses all different techniques he uses his voice so brilliantly so i count myself and almost it could sound like i have an inferiority complex and i genuinely don't i consider myself to be a working um professional postmodern, interactive (laughs) narrative storytelling comedian (laughs) yeah. <laughs> I
2: was, uh, <laughs> that's fair yeah um, no I'm, yeah. I, I, that was a joke by the yes, way yes I'm aware I'm aware I was literally thinking to myself if I don't laugh at this it would be really nice and awkward for everyone listening I, I think oh, it's yeah, great yeah, yeah, no yeah. I'm
0: glad you laughed but I'm also if you didn't that would be great as well I out, would man. sound like <laughs> such an idiot because if you edited that as the little snippet at the start of the oh, podcast yeah, gonna, no, just, this is a glimpse behind the podcast by the way yeah. ladies and gentlemen who were listening sorry mm. but if you edited that bit with no laughter that would just sound ridiculous people would switch off <laughs> and it would be the, the one that people are least inclined to listen to
2: no I think I think you'd be surprised. I think people would listen to it, going, "This pretentious? Right, I'm going to listen to it the whole way to my next gig. Yeah, uh, and I hope he's there uh, yes. and I'll pick him up on this. I mean, you're like, where is your interactive storytelling?
0: Yeah, where? Know? Oh, yeah. absolutely. No, i I've am aware that I've sort of set myself up for something of a fall, but I'm all right with that. I've fallen before.
2: Mm. And I, uh, the, I mean, the interesting thing for that is, is yes, everyone, everyone. I've, I think when you start in comedy, you're your main aim should be just to be f- the funniest you can be,
0: absolutely and,
2: and that should continue through, but then obviously it changes as you sort of your yeah. your uh, persona changes as well as your yes. s- stage dynamic but but i think I think the interesting thing would be um how you i mean yes there's there 's a consistency and there's being funny but ha- was it just performing open spots for different p- p- uh, promoters that proves that you are not only funny but you that what you 're doing is something that 's different enough that they should book you. More often, in a way, because you know, if, you, if you're just a comedian going to do 15, 20 minutes of jokes, there's hundreds of those. Not, oh, yeah. in a, not in a flippant way, but there are. But if you're, if you've got a story to tell that's a funny story, they can put you on in between two of those twenty-minute comedians, and it's something yeah. different, and it makes the night more interesting, and it keeps people engaged in some in, in some instances. So, was it a case? How did you get the, win over a promoter in that respect?
0: Well, because I I don't just tell a story for twenty minutes. And also, you know, I, I, th- this is the thing about knowing yourself and also knowing your stories. For example, I'd tell a story about going to Broadmoor, and that story can be two minutes long or it can be 20 minutes long. And if I'm doing a 20-minute club set, I'll generally do it in about three minutes with as many laughs as possible. Mm. And I bring a certain dramatic tension to it as well and puncture that silence and end on a couple of jokes. So it's it's useful to know yourself and to know your range Mm. and that's it and how, how did I do well you you know you turn up and you do your open spots and you think well if I'm doing a 10 minute open spot at somewhere like the glee I'd be a fool to do a 10 minute story of course because what if it goes wrong so actually I'm better to walk out I'll walk out and I will do joke 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 and I'll interact and I'll make it look like I'm improvising sometimes sometimes I will improvise I might start a story I can abandon it because the, the audience don't really know all they care about is whether they're entertained whether they're laughing or not mm. so I haven't actually pigeonholed myself I'm you know what the intrigue for me is actually where I go next and that I'm not entirely sure of, although I'm working on it. So in terms of what a promoter wants, I think a good promoter will actually tell you what they want. You know, a good professional promoter spends a lot of money promoting their club, puts a lot of time and a lot of love and a lot of effort into it, and they will actually tell you. So what are your lot like? Oh, they're a little bit older. And so you can adapt to it accordingly. And that's one of the things. So it's always come back to being professional, being funny, and being adaptable.
2: Definitely. How many, how many, at the moment, on average, how many gigs are you doing a week or a month, whichever way you want to do it?
0: Um, 16, probably. I mean, I, tr- I always go to new material nights as well now. So I've actually started to do more because obviously Edinburgh's coming up. So, you know, Fridays and Saturdays I've got covered. You know that the circuit is in an interesting state at the moment. Yeah. I am able to get the, you know, some Thursday gigs. They're quite rare now. So are Sunday gigs, unfortunately. Uh, I'm looking at doing different projects as well i might be doing kind of a theater show with a couple of former criminals which will be story based actually which will be interesting fascinating i've known them for a few years now so my main thing is i'm going to survive no matter what that's good and 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 that's it And i don't say that aggressively or nastily but i'm going to survive Oh but no, that's I, it. I'm a survivor.
2: I, no, I didn't. Um, sorry, yeah. in my head I had the song playing then. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so did I. Yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, it's just one of those things, isn't it? You can't. Uh,
0: you can't say phrases like that without thinking of that song or Beyonce. Yeah, yeah. I I was talking to um,
2: uh, Charlotte Austin at Catface the other oh, day, yeah. and she just wrote to me question, and I wrote, "Tell me what you think about this." And she and she was like, "What are you want about?" And I sent a link, and she went, "Oh yeah, I forgot about that." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was like, no, oh, I yeah, I know, it's unavoidable. Yeah, it's unavoidable. You can't help it. Um, no, I'm just trying to paint a picture for some someone who uh, maybe wants to become a storyteller and and how uh, what their diary would look like because as a comedian I am a comedian I don't call myself an interactive story uh, billboard t- telling well, I, no, I, no, I don't no. have any of those titles t- 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 yeah. I just I am I'm am I, I tell jokes I have stories but I don't put myself in that if that makes sense yeah absolutely um, so so for me it's interesting uh, to to know uh, how many gigs you do a month how, how you know like you said the split of the the open mic to to paid also like what else you do because i i think it's very hard now almost impossible to just be a jobbing performer i mean you can make a base level income on it yeah. if you do every night but i don't think most people are able to either get that in
0: or oh, it's, it's getting it is becoming very difficult which yeah. is why i think it's more
1: And Airbnb, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Whenever now, it's important to be versatile with with what you do. You know, Mm. the idea for me was, I'm going to run a storytelling night again. And I want to see if I can be the person who does make it accessible to people. Mm. so I'm always thinking about other streams of income and other ways to survive and other ways in which I can perform. You know, and I'm glad, lucky enough to be able, I think, to turn my hand to different things. In terms of being a storytelling comic, look at someone like Nick Page. Have you seen Nick Page?
2: I know of him. Nick Page
0: is great. Nick Mm -hmm. Page is very, very good indeed. And... He can play any room. He's another person who can play any room. You can put Nick in a corporate room, a weekend club. He could be anywhere. He could come along and storm a storytelling night if he wanted to. And it is laugh after laugh after laugh. It's relentless. His stream of of words is just relentless. And and it's fantastic. But the one thing, and I'm sure I'm not putting words into his mouth. He's an old pal of mine. But he can play any room so I don't think if you're thinking of yourself as oh how do I start out how do I become a storyteller well don't you're a comedian who tells stories you wouldn't say to me you wouldn't ask me the question well you know if you're a one-liner comedian what sort of career do you have well because you're just a comedian that, that's what it comes down to you know the, the main thing is being a comic I'm a comic first and my speciality or oh, my my main goal actually is I want to do really good hours that's really what I want to do Ultimately, that's what I, I want to get on television. People are really surprised. You want to get, you want to get on television, really? Yeah, you're damn right. I want to get on television, absolutely. You know, I want to get on Russell Howard's Comedy Central. That's what I want to do. I've said it now. People don't believe me. They think I'm lying. Well, what, do you not want to be like a cult? No, I want to eat. <laughs> you know, and I want to be able to um, to go as far as I possibly can.
2: You, you mentioned playing any room, and I know there's a, a split well i I, I feel there 's a split anyway between comedians who feel they should be able to play any room and comedians who just feel like you know not every space is conducive to stand up so why would I want to try and play every room and i 'm wondering first of all if if that attitude is more prevalent in storytelling as in, as in jo- storytelling comedians sure. or whether it's a case of um, because, No, first of all answer that
0: well th- the desire to play any room stems from practicality, more than anything. That's all. It comes back down to, you know, to pounds and pence in a way. You know, I want to be able to earn my living anywhere. But it's also very satisfying. And also, don't forget, that how, many, how many times have you done a room where people said, oh, the room is so nice, there's such a lovely crowd, and you turn up, and it's just the worst gig you've ever done. You think, how on earth did that happen? There's a misconception. Oh, Edinburgh audiences, they're so erudite. Really? Go to the Free Sisters or Cowgate on a Saturday afternoon, when when there's rugby on, and get out there and, you know, no one's ever heckled with, hey, pal, you know, make sure your narrative arc works. They they, they don't do that. So, actually, so-called nice rooms can be tough as well. So, from my point of view, it's, after a while, everything becomes a variation of a theme. You know, as far as hackles go, as far as rooms go, so you can just tick stuff off. Especially when you're starting out. That's what I tell people in my workshops. When you're starting out, you're learning so much with every gig. And now I can turn up, and I'm not. I'm not really phased by anything. I was very, very shy when I first started doing comedy. Very shy. I Couldn't even look at the audience. You know, I would. I was terrified. And yes, it took ten years to get good at it. I'm not ashamed to say that. But right now. I'm not afraid of anybody or anything. Not a thing. Because I feel like I've seen it all. And yes, it means that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not on telly or anything yet. But, you know, I feel like I've thoroughly learned my trade. So it is really good to be able to play any room. There is, of course, the argument, well, hang on, why would Josie Long want to be able to play a rowdy room on a Friday night where they shout abuse at her? Well, yeah, if you've got your own audience great and well done and she's thoroughly deserving of that audience too i have to say but for the reality or my reality is the one that i'm most concerned with and so in order to evolve properly i had to be able to play any room and it's just immensely useful i can turn up and grind out a win if i have to or well, most of the time i can do very well most of the time it's really good occasionally i think i've reinvented comedy i can't believe it and sometimes i think oh my god i just i've i've left via the fire escape on quite a few occasions as well
2: do do you think as a storyteller then and again this is me being flippant but do you think it's do you think it's easier as a storyteller to adjust to different rooms than it would be for a stand-up because i find if i'm if i'm emceeing i can adjust to rooms a lot easier than when i'm doing a set because my set's already set it's in in the name in a way whereas a story like you said you can take something and make it two minutes or 20 minutes so you can I, i feel like just from the way you're talking you can adjust a lot easier and a lot more on the fly than maybe a, a, a
0: performer who's got their. i think if you know yourself well enough and you have enough skills that um you can act because sometimes i'll walk out and i won't tell a story at all sometimes you, you, you can go half an hour if you're in and you don't even get a joke out or anything you're just interacting with the audience and that just comes through experience as well and knowing what tool to present to the people in front of you. So whilst I ideally want to be able to do an hour with an amazing arc to it, and I want people to leave outside chatting and going, wow, this is just the best thing I've ever seen, the harsh reality is is at some point, someone 25 minutes in in the nicest room in Edinburgh is going to shout something that, you know, that involves your mum and various sexual activities, and I've got to be able to come back with something.
2: Mm. Definitely, definitely. And, uh, you know, you find... Uh, sort of let's keep with Josie Long just as an example Um, you find when you have your own audience they'll go a lot more I think we were talking about this before where I was saying um, when I spoke to Oliver Double he said that his uh, theory on being funny is just convincing yourself and then them Mm. that you're going to be funny so if you have your own audience you've kind of won that battle which means it's kind of not easier but i think yeah it probably is easier to say something or almost anything yes and they'll because it's like chatting with a mate you can say something a little bit more risque or a little bit less politically correct to a friend and they'll know who you are and be like i'll let it go because it's that kind of person so my my question to you was going to be first of all what kind of audience do you think you have and and what are you doing to kind of build your audience
0: more i don't have an audience it's, it's as simple as that. I don't. I have the audience here in front of me, you know, because I'm a circuit comedian. So I, I turn up and whenever I do festivals, if it's in Australia, if it's in Edinburgh, I, I show up and I play to the people in front of me. And I use my skills probably on the fly to be able to create a narrative or to, to to tell my story, but also to make some kind of narrative with the crowd as well. So there's two things going on as well. There's a narrative within the room, but there's also the story that I'm telling. So, you, so it makes it almost unique for them. I have no illusions at all that I have an audience. Would I like to have one? Yeah, probably. I'd like to get on Radio 4. I would. So are you
2: are you doing that as a conscious decision or are you just not investing time into doing that? Because it sounds like if you if you don't have an audience or you just have the audience presented in front of yeah. you who don't know who you are. I mean, you were talking a lot about perceptions in your course and, yeah. and playing with those and stuff. So there's a lot of advantages of not knowing the audience bec- and not having them know you because, like you said, you can play with that yeah. and you can have a lot of fun with it. So... Are you doing it as a conscious decision so that you still have to stay on your toes and, and as, and as gig-ready as you can be because they don't know you, so you have to keep those skills sharp? Or are you just not investing time into, say, talking to them afterwards and saying, hey, join my mailing list, join my Twitter, join my whatever it would be?
0: Well, in many ways, I think that um, I possibly made a mistake. You see, of course, it's show business, isn't it? And I never focus on the business side of it at all. All I wanted to do was be a good comic. Now... I'm at a point where actually, no, I'm starting to think about, right, what's my branding? You know, so I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get my photos taken by Steve Ollathorn, you know, and I'm going to describe myself as this thing, and I'm going to make sure that my clips are filmed well. So there, is a pra- so there is that side as well. I kind of wished that I thought about that 10 years ago, but then it was a different scene then, and all I wanted to do was be good, and now I believe that I am good. Now I want to be successful. And and there's a difference. You can be really good at comedy, but uh, you know, there's people who aren't really good who were successful. I'm not going to name anybody. I don't can't think of anyone off the top of my head. But there's a difference. So it's like, yeah, I've got good. Now, how how do I become a success? And I, I suspect that I ought to be saying to audiences, "Well, you can see me on. You know, you can tweet me. You can follow me on Facebook." You can email me if you want, you know, you can take my business card. So I should be working more on self-promotion and maybe I will. Because I think that there's no coincidence that, that pe- it's not random that people become successful. You, you can sit around it can, waiting. It can be. Oh, it can be. Yeah, sorry. Just, but, yeah. But, but, you, but for the most part, if you sit around waiting to be discovered or you're hoping that you're going to be the word of mouth phenomenon in Edinburgh, then you could be waiting for a very long time. You know, I've done I've done some very good shows, I think, in Edinburgh. But you know, I'm very much aware that this year, and I've learned a lot as I'm going as well. I've been learning about the marketing side. Mm -hmm. You know, I've managed to market Martha McBryer rather well, and I'm savvy enough to know to mention her name in a podcast that's going to be listened by to by hopefully quite a few people. It's my missus. I know exactly how to market her. And she's happy just to go along with it. She's similar to me, but she you know, she cares about being a good performer. She really does tell pure stories, and they're, and they're fantastic. They're very funny. And she'll thank me for mentioning her, because she'll be listening to this. <laughs> so, it's one download. Whereas, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But whereas, whereas, say, even five years ago, I wouldn't have even had the audacity, it's not particularly audacious, to even say that in the middle of your podcast. But now, whilst I'm making a joke about it and we're being lighthearted... I'm very much aware of the need, even when, and I'm thoroughly enjoying your company, Simon, even when we're talking about storytelling, I'm thinking, yeah, okay, don't forget anything. Yeah, remember yeah. this, remember that. And not because I'm cynical, but it's just, well, you have to move with the times. So
2: I, I don't think that's a problem at all. I think, I think when it gets bad is when you have, so I've had some PRs on here and you, know, you have to sort of watch out for them just plugging things, if that makes sense. Yes. Which is, fine because that's what they do or that's part of what they do absolutely of course it is but it's not this isn't for that this isn't no, uh, no, of this course isn't not. the the this is this is a discussion of about the industry and stuff yeah, so yeah if you need if you if you want to mention something cuz and it's relevant as well it's it's something that's to do with you and it's to do with storytelling so yes. it's not uh, it's not a uh, you just sort of going oh by the way I've also got a free friend show coming. you know like it's uh, oh,
0: of course not yeah. no I wouldn't dream of doing that and that was more supposed to illustrate in a slightly flippant way what my journey has been Mm. because because people people emphasize different things when they start you know I've met people who have literally done half a dozen gigs and one guy walked off stage and he said to me you know that was my seventh gig and I found what I want to do now for the rest of my life I haven't seen him since I don't know what he wanted to do maybe that was it maybe he meant they didn't want to do comedy anymore Mm. some people hand you a business card after gig number nine and good luck to them You know, like I said, there is no blueprint. There's no, you know, we're all self-employed in many ways, you know, scraping a living or at least, at the very least, wondering, you know, well, is this going to last? Where am I going to be a year from now? Is it really going to be like all the cynics are saying, and it just won't exist in five years, and it'll just be new material nights and open mic nights and that's it, and we'll all talk about the good old days when you could make a living from it. I hope not the second one.
2: (laughs) I, I don't know. I I remember seeing a comedian, I won't mention any names, uh, in Edinburgh 2 years ago and they they I saw their show twice accidentally. It was a long story. Um but they used the same flippant line twice, so I knew it wasn't a uh, an accident as it were, okay. where they said um when I started, uh it was great and the industry was just booming and then and then the bottom fell out and now I'm good and it's really annoying. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, well, okay. Um is it though because I mean I mean you're you're at a higher level than I am I mean that's that's just you've been going longer you're yeah, you're, you're maybe you, maybe uh, well,
0: yeah. you, well I mean would you, you no no I've been going longer than you yes I, I don't think of it in terms of levels but yeah I've, I've been, been going know.
2: longer yeah, yeah. well no, that's interesting what you I mean I how can you not I mean you would you would naturally be further along this journey than I would be sure uh it
0: depends I see people and I don't this isn't directed at anyone in particular. I see people who can't do 10 minutes who are taking an hour-long show to the Edinburgh Festival. Oh,
2: yeah, I'm, not, I'm not. That's
0: incredible. Not so see- they're at the same level as me. I'm doing an hour-long show. Yeah. All right? And someone else who's only got 10 minutes is doing an hour-long show. They'll stand on the street saying, five-star award-winning comedy. Hardest working comedian in the UK. Do you want to come and see my show? And, I've got, so I'm, and I'm going, oh, I've got five stars for this particular show. Yeah. Well, so did that person down the road.
2: I'm not. Yeah, sorry. I should explain what I mean by yeah. level. I don't oh, no. uh, because. Yeah, anyone can take an hour to Edinburgh, and so there is a the lot difference? of crap.
0: A comic is a comic is a comic.
2: Yeah, uh, what I mean is you're uh, a full time at this. Yeah. Is is more to the point. I'm not near that at this point. I mean, okay. I, I I gig like a full timer, but it's mainly open spots and open mics and that kind but of stuff. But
0: audiences moment. don't really know the difference anyway. I think that could be partly what's contributed to the downfall. Anyway, is is you know you get and. and you get nights where, and once again, I'm not directing this at anybody, okay? I'm not. You do
2: know to. every comedian's listening to this, like having a chat in a car going, Who's he talking
0: about? Yeah. Who's the night? Oh, yeah. oh <laughs> yeah. no, 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 they, yeah. they will be, yeah. but yeah. to be honest with you, I'm. I wouldn't raise it if it was directed at anybody because it's not in my interest to do that. I don't want to be because I got to think about my business. I can't be slagging off anybody. Okay. I know. So no, so it's a I shame. You no, I don't, <laughs> no, no, but I'll, I'll do it in a car. Yeah. I, I haven't got yeah, a problem yeah, because what you know what happens in the car stays in the car and all that business. But often you you get nights you know seven award-winning comedians and it's eight quid and you turn up and it's seven open spots and there's nothing wrong with that. But I just think well. Don't charge eight quid. Charge mm. three quid and just say it's an open mic night. New, exciting acts. Because mm. at least people know what it is then. Mm. you know, Don't tell people that you're a five-star award-winning comedian if you got five stars from your mum. Because it just seems like, well, you're just going to let people down. But on the other hand, it's a business. You can go from zero to being on telly in about four years. You can do that. Mm. What people forget as well is that people who do make it very quickly, someone like... Um, Sean Walsh. Sean Walsh is exceptionally talented, right? If you watch Sean Walsh, what he does, he is absolutely phenomenal at observational comedy, I'm going to call it that broadly, observational humour, and he's brilliant at being Sean Walsh. He's amazing. I'm not surprised that he made it onto the telly as relatively quickly as he did. But he didn't have to lie about it. You could say, well, he's got a big agent behind him. Yeah, but he he had the ability in order to do it. And I don't think he's ever had to lie to anyone or to exaggerate it. He's genuinely brilliant. People look at someone like that and think, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So I'll take shortcuts and maybe I'll exaggerate what I'm doing. And I think, well, actually, you get found out in the end. Because people will come and watch your show and they'll say in reviews, you know, this person only has 20 minutes of material, and that was flabby, and that's why I'm giving them two stars. I don't even despise them enough to give them one so they can actually get a car crash audience in. Mm. Yeah. No, does I does that, that sound bitter and jaded? It's not meant to.
2: It's not meant to, no. I'm just I'm just thinking of how... How can I put it? Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound bitter and jaded. That's, that's not something you Good. should worry about. I'm sure there'll be one person listening to this who'll go, that does sound bitter and jaded, but... You know, the, the more well, people that...
0: if you are listening to this, up yours. Because it's not bitter and jaded. I'm just saying it as I see it.
2: Yeah. And no, I, I just mean the more people that listen to a certain thing, the more likely you're going to get a different response from it. You know, everyone... Well, of course. Yeah, be- so.
0: Because, because you know, and I might well be doing myself out of business because people will just think, oh, he's a storyteller. That's not the same as stand-up. I won't book him for my comedy club. Possibly. Because, obviously, people are going to hear different things. And mm. that's absolutely fine.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. And... and well, I mean, if you if you can go from nought to TV in four years, yeah, have you got a plan to do that for yourself?
0: Well, no, because at the moment I don't really have anyone who can give me a plan or tell me how to do it. So, in, in many ways, this is a cry for help. You know, <laughs> I I don't know I don't know how there, to there do it. There are TV commissioners listening. Yeah, to no, this. the like, probably like. is. <laughs> uh, no, honestly, I don't know. I'd I'd love to know. I'd I'd love to know what I can do in order to, to get that opportunity.
2: I, I I emailed one recently to right. get them on, and they emailed back saying, "Yeah, I love it. I'd have I'd, I'd love to have you on. So if you want to do a quick play, you can." <laughs> yeah, a-
0: absolutely. No, if if you're listening, I think I'm good. I, I think that I think you're going to see sell people. Don't yourself too high, though. No, well, no, but you know, I think there's going to be people out there who would like to to hear what I have to say. I'm different. I'll be funny. Mm. <laughs> and I think I do a great job. Mm. In terms of diversity, there aren't any Cornishmen out there, particularly. There's Jethro. There's Colonel King. Um, Ed Rowe, who I love. There's Paul Carenza. There's Anna Curl. There's MJ Walker. And there's Graham Wilkes. And if, I left, if I've left anybody out, then I do apologize. But in terms of a big lump like me, who's had one hell of a journey over the last 10 years, you wouldn't believe what I've had to go through. But who can take some of those experiences and make them genuinely funny in front of any audience? And yeah, I'd love to come and do your TV programme. Sorry for marketing myself or say, being so blunt about it, yeah. but if you are listening you can help me, please give me an idea. You can Facebook me, you can contact me through Simon, <laughs> you can Twitter me, I'll give you my address if you want afterwards. <laughs> do you want to
2: pop round? Uh, well, there's the thing, uh, the- as much as that is a funny plug, I, I, it does bring up a very interesting case because I can't remember who it was who said it, but someone said about Sarah Milliken that I think she w- I think they said something like she wouldn't have a career if she wasn't a, a woman who was Geordie or something like that, and it was in a review. And the way you just said yours was the way you said there aren't that many Cornishmen. Like, do you, I mean, do you do you actually? Play to that because I mean you don't really have a Cornish accent from what I can. It doesn't really
0: not not particularly. Yeah. No, it, it it depends on the crowd. If I'm in the West Country, I might West Country up a little bit more. I'd be a fool not to to postcode the gig. Mm. You know, a, a mm. lot of people do that. Sarah Milliken's great. Oh no, I, she would make it anyway. Sorry, she's so good. I, at I should say I'm not criticizing oh, no, no, her in any not. way no, I'm quoting no. a review and I oh, just no, can't but, remember but who. But she's just so good yeah, yeah. that it wouldn't really matter yeah. what she was. I think that it just it's easier to be able to define. Someone very quickly, mm. and, and that's what that is. You know, she wouldn't have to be a Geordie, could just go, Wow, you know, just a really likeable um, next door neighbor sort of talking to you over the fence almost mm. is one way of marketing it. I'm um, very talented, very marketable.
2: What's, what's really nice is every time, you have, every time you talk about storytelling or every time you talk about something in that area that you have skill in. You flip a negative to be a positive like that, which is really good. I think, especially oh, in this, because no, no, because I think too many comedians go, "Oh, I can't, I can't do one-liners. I'll do, I'll, I'll do this instead," and, and they, they they look at it in a negative way rather than, "Oh, I do this thing well though. Forget one-liners. I do this thing. You know what I mean?" And, I know, and yeah. so, and I and I like that. I think that confidence comes out in the fact that you've done it for so long. Yeah. That, you, that you believe in yourself even though absolutely but, you, but like you said you're not marketing yourself to get an audience even when I said go ahead pitch yourself to a commissioner you go I think I'm good like you're not you're not, you're not arrogant enough to go well, no. I'm the hardest working storytelling person on. The- maybe
0: I should have said that I'd, li- yeah. I'd like to be able to say that but it's, it's ridiculous you know I think that because there's so many comics there are less opportunities on all really on a serious note if there's anybody listening I'd love to have an opportunity
2: we all. I would as well, by the way. And Just throw it out. It. No, no, we all would.
0: Everybody <laughs> I know would. You know, there's people running around in the background now taking tables of where they probably love an opportunity as yeah. well. Do you guys want to pitch?
2: No, Jeffrey. We're not turning this into that. <laughs> That'd I'm, be great. I think we've, we've got it? a few minutes before we've got to be yes. kicked out of here. So I'll quickly ask you because I had a few questions about Edinburgh. Yes. Because I course. know your first show. What well, I've got told was 2006 uh, when you went to Edinburgh and you didn't have a venue. Or oh you
0: yeah, th- that that <laughs> kind of fell through. I turned up and there was it was in the garden of. Um, Lindsay's bar, and they had a barbecue. So that that was fine because I spoke to Claire Smith from the Scotsman, who's a reviewer, uh, a journalist who is very good, excellent journalist actually. And she gave me my first quote. I think she said, "I tell um, fascinating stories from behind the ropes because I was talking. I wanted to talk about boxers, Mm. and it's still a show that I will do at some point.
2: Awesome.
0: But that's the swan song show. That's the retirement show. Cool. And."
2: so the two questions main questions for Edinburgh because I know we've got to move That's on okay. in a sec the two, the two main questions about Edinburgh I've got for you are one do you list yourself in storytelling and if you don't why don't you
0: oh no I list, I list it as stand up storytelling okay yeah I think last year was true life storytelling I don't think people particularly look at it to be honest I don't think they care I think as so long as you've got a decent mug shot Uh, and the person on the fly says, oh, hi, do you want to come and see a show? It's five stars and award-winning, although they don't Mm. do that with me, because I've I've had some five-star reviews, but I haven't won an award, although we got third place in a raffle once (laughs) when I was a kid, and maybe that counts. It doesn't have to say award, what you won the award Comedy award, yeah. No, I I think that... uh, I always take the approach. I I'd like to try to speak to people myself. Mm. I do the showcase gigs and I say, listen, this is something slightly different. Come along. There's a narrative. If you like a good yarn, you'll like it. There's jokes in there. It's funny. It's personal. And that that's almost enough to get people in. So I think that the marketing in the brochure, you only have 40 words and about 90 online. Mm. So... You more or less sound the same as everybody else, really. But I think that people have a greater understanding now of what storytelling is, or postmodern narrative mm. comedy is.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. No, I just, I just wondered because uh, we all have a hard time in Edinburgh. We're all whoring ourselves oh, of course, out. Oh, course, absolutely. But I, I didn't. I was wondering whether being a storyteller makes it easier or worse at festivals for you, because at comedy sections, you know, I'm competing against every other comedian essentially. Whereas you're are you competing in that way? I mean you're, you're a comedian you tell stories but you have a thing where you can go up to someone and say something a bit different you know what I mean you've instantly oh, got that. I don't
0: think it's that different it's just an Edinburgh show okay. t- t- really to be honest with you it is just an Edinburgh show okay. uh, not, not in a bad way but you know I'm not the same as everybody else yeah. you know stood in the rain trying to fly at people convince them that I'm worthy of coming to yeah. see and you know, most of the time you know, touch wood I get people in I don't have to necessarily tell it as storytelling I think, that, I think a personal sales pitch is good to people yeah. if you say to people look I'd really, I've got a show and I'd love to run it by you I'd love to know what you think mm. and people will come along
2: are you, are you one of the mythical profitable Edinburgh people?
0: Um, I do alright I do okay out of it yeah certainly I think uh, do I make loads of money no because I tend to do the free fringe I can cover my costs of being up there and that's quite a blessing you know given how expensive accommodation is Mm. so I do enough to be able to go back the following year really is what it's about I more or less make my money back Mm. and and can afford to eat whilst I'm up there but the personal growth that, that you get Mm. Is incredible, as you know. Yeah. But I, I'm at that point. You're speaking to me now at the point where I want to be a commercial success. So I need to start acting like it. And that's my next mission. So
2: what, what steps are you taking to be taken more seriously? I mean, not the honour of not being oh, no. taken seriously. No. But what steps are you personally taking? And also, I think you're with Murph Management. You? Yes, okay. that's right, yeah. So what are, what are you and Murph working on together that is getting you to be taken more professionally
0: yeah. Uh, okay. I don't quite know how to say this, but me and Mirth aren't working on anything. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, Jeff gets okay. me gigs. There's no point because people are going to, this is the bit that people are going to pause in the car now and go, oh, I can't wait to hear what he has to say about this. Jeff's very good at what he does. Jeff is very good at getting you gigs. And that's it. And that doesn't mean I'm not being disparaging about him. I'm very grateful for that. But in terms of me being able to go further, I'm probably going to have to come up with my own business plan, and I'm not saying do, in, do it myself. Jeff will admit it; he'd give me a bread and butter income, but I do so much more than just his gigs, so much more because I built up a reputation. However, if I are, want, are you also to on
2: the corporate circuit, I assume or? not the corporate
0: okay. circuit. I do the odd corporate, but I, you know, I I do the overseas gigs. I've been to Asia, and you know, and, and closed over there. That wasn't through Mirth Control; I got that myself, and. You know, I did the Australian festivals. Jeff's been, you know, what can I say? I don't know how to describe it, really. Jeff, Jeff is very good at what he does and take that in any way any way you like, any, any way you choose. But I think that, it, that even he would say that in order for me to get to the next level, I'm going to have to do it myself. Not because he doesn't care, but because it's not what he does. So I'll continue to do the Mirth gigs, I'll continue to get the circuit gigs that I get myself, and I'll continue now to market myself, and my goal this year is to get more journalists in, I've always had the last few years touch with very good reviews, but I'd like to get, I saw Sarah Kendall's show, my goodness me, if you want to go and see stand-up storytelling at its absolute best, go and see Sarah Kendall, me and Martha McBriar my missus five stars in the Scotsman she got last year um, we went to watch the radio Four recording of Sarah Kendall and all I can say is that is next level stuff right there we were both absolutely blown away and Sarah deservedly got nominated but I think she had 18 reviewers in I had three wow. all right I got three five star reviews PR, you know? I don't know who the PR was oh, okay. possibly Mel Brown who I'd love to have of course if I had the money it would be very much worth it you know but my point being that i think that actually i ought to be able to get more I'm not saying i'm going to get 17 or i deserve it it's not about what you deserve but the yeah. next level for me is certainly to to market myself in such a way as i can entice journalists in now mm. you know i can say look this is my sixth edinburgh show how about you you know throw me a bone you know okay. and, and review me and so that that's how i've changed that's where my focus is going okay
2: these are the final quick-fire questions course, that I do. yeah. You, they're quick for me. You can take as long as you want to okay. answer them, although we are probably going to get thrown, yeah, out, gonna any gonna get thrown now. out any minute Yeah, we're going to get minute now. Um, I was going to ask what's the best show you've ever seen, but I'm assuming it would be Sarah Kendall's at the moment. Um,
0: Sarah Kendall's was brilliant. I've got to say, actually, I know I'm biased, but my missus in 2006, she did a show called Sex, Kitten, Corpse. It was entirely improvised. She got a five-star review. 2007, she did... Uh, Another show. She then, well, she was attacked, ended up with a brain tumour, which is a story I've told quite a lot to people. Could no longer perform. Ten years later, after doing a storytelling night, she did a narrative show and got another five stars in The Scotsman. Her show last year, Pigeon Puncher, was extraordinary. I know this is the woman I love, but she's really, really good. Well, there's a reason you love her. Yeah. Well, of course, yeah, but she's a very, very talented woman. Mm. Um, but but that, that aside, yeah, Sarah Kendall, my God. I just, I didn't even know how to speak to her afterwards. I just yeah. said, I said, I was blown away. It was wonderful, thank you. Because I didn't want to sort of be too gushing. But extraordinary. I felt like, I felt like I'd seen something, I felt like I'd seen something amazing, and it was. Like I'd almost seen something genre like boundary pushing in a way you know it was amazing six times in 10 years I've been genuinely blown away and just thought god you know I I I don't even know what that was it's so good it almost defies defies analysis it was that good rather like Sean Hughes alibis for life listen to that album yeah Yeah. yeah. it changed my life what is the biggest
2: mistake you've ever made and how did you get over it
0: uh the biggest mistake i ever made was not really understanding that it is show business i think if you're starting out think about the business side seriously you know focus on trying to be funny i think that's very helpful but give equal time to you know to being able to to network and to promote yourself as well i guess it's more competitive now there's more comedians and there are gigs and it's you know, to quote hills jago it's about networking and i and i think it is but it's also about being funny as well don't lose sight of the fact that you are there to try and entertain people but i think work hard and be nice now i've always been nice and i've always worked hard but if someone had said to me yeah but you need to focus and actually have a really solid plan then maybe things would have been slightly different but having said that you know i'm in a position as i said earlier on where i'm good at comedy and now I'd like to be a success. So at least I know that. Better late than never.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I I get that feeling. Who do you think is the most underrated person in your industry?
0: I, That is a very interesting question. And I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. What I would say is that it's very easy to dismiss people i think that the industry looks at someone and they think oh okay we're we're going to think of you as this and they more or less set the level for you within the first few years and it's easy to to overlook people there are amazing comedians out there as you know and you know adam bloom said you know that he's better after 25 years than he was 25 years ago but the audience are more or less the, the audience the industry have more or less dismissed him we all do that a little bit you know and I, and I think that that 's a shame that 's the only thing I would say is okay, you don 't get an opportunity to be new. you only get one opportunity to be new, but i don 't understand why people are so dismissive. you know I took ten years to learn how to be a comedian doesn 't make me better or worse than anybody else, but I think well don't don't dismiss me, and am I saying that i 'm the most underrated person in the industry well i don't know i 'll tell you that off record. <laughs>
2: I was going to ask, the next question was going to be what is the biggest problem in the comedy industry and how would you go about solving it? But I think you've answered the first part of that now or unless that's not the biggest problem in the...
0: Well, I I think one of the problems is that is the actual marketing, certainly for the live circuit. I honestly think there's nothing wrong we saying to your audience, look, this is an open mic night. Don't, don't market it as something that it's not. You know, in Edinburgh, well, I can understand why all bets are off. You know, there's something about doing the free fringe, and you know, if you end up with one pound fifty, one euro note, and a piece of chewing gum in your bucket, that will tell you enough. And and actually, if you're as deluded as I think you might be, or you know, this is just to, to anyone in particular, <laughs> then you will come back the following year and do the same anyway. Yeah. yeah okay
2: and what's the best bit of advice you have been given
0: the best bit of advice now <laughs> i think i think the best bit of advice was from martin beaumont who came and i wish i knew what what the he said there are three things you are what you think you either want to do it or you don't and be in the moment it's that's the advice. best piece of advice i've ever had the rule of three because it it really takes away any doubt Mm,
2: definitely if if you could go back i know i said that'd be the last question but i've got one more that i think you'd be fun to answer and end and end your pod on if you could go back and give yourself one bit of advice before your first gig what would it be
0: it would be don't talk about japanese suicide (laughs) i don't think that's entirely relevant but it would also be um this is going to take a while before you actually believe in yourself properly and whilst you know maybe it's going to take you 10 years to get to the point where you think no i'm actually really good at this it's going to be worth it you know strap in for a very i hate the phrase strap in but i want it to be unedited so it's going to have to be strap in (laughs) what a horrible phrase but i would say you know really brace yourself For a 10 year journey that's going to be up and down, but ultimately worth it in the end. And everyone's journey is different as well. And that's something. If anyone who's starting out is listening, trust me, you know, if you can come up with a new neurosis or a new bad experience, I'd love to hear about it because I've seen, I feel like I've seen everything and I'm still standing.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming. Thank
0: on. you. I've, I've enjoyed it, mate. Really have.
2: That was Matt. I learned loads from his course, as well as from talking to him about the art of storytelling. And I really liked talking to him about his venture into thinking more about the business side of show business. It was just a really interesting thing that someone, even with an agent who has to sort of still take their own reins and, and has realized that, they're going to have to make a lot of their own opportunities in certain areas of their career and the limitations on the path they've chosen as a performer who tells stories rather than is just gag 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 so i hope you got as much out of that as i did if you would like to see matt he is at the edinburgh fringe festival 2016 he's doing a show called Paul poltroon it's a free fringe show at the cabaret voltaire it's at quarter to nine every night from the 4th to the 28th if you would like more information there is a link in the show notes please do support him he supported us by giving up his time so readily and if you've enjoyed this and you'd like to talk to him about storytelling or the art of storytelling or anything to do with this you can tweet him uh, and the link again is in the show notes or you can meet him at after one of his shows if you'd like to support me and this podcast please do consider sharing this link with a friend who might enjoy this or any other episode that you've enjoyed it really helps out the show and if you've got a minute an honest review on iTunes would be massively appreciated as well and if you'd like to donate some money to help this project continue you can do that as well on my website, which is SimonKane.co.uk, either with a one-off donation via PayPal or as an ongoing patron via Patreon. All links to all of those things are in the show notes and on my website, which is SimonKane.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening, thank you very much for supporting, thank you very much for donating, and I'll see you in about 10 days' time. Bye!